This podcast was recorded at Hartford Street Zen Center, East Sanji, in San Francisco. Please help support our temple by making a donation at hszc.org. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> I don't want to do anything with that part, though. Right? Okay. Uh, my name's Kedu Lanchut. I want to thank um, Abbot Mio for the invitation um, to speak here today. It's good to see all of you. Anyone here for the first time? All right. Welcome. Um, I um, have been going through some changes and um, a little bit of a, not a crisis of faith per se, just a more a crisis, a little bit, not, not even crisis, but trying to sense of identity in part. And, um, and I was reminded of a story um, contributed to Mio, let's see if it works out. Um, where someone told me that um, when they first were part of Zen Center, and I think it was when Mio was Tonto, um, anyway, they went in for a PD with Mio, and they uh, said, I don't know whether I should trust you. <laughs> and Mio said, don't trust me, trust the Dharma. Hmm? Sound like something you might say, Mio? Yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they, they were very, you know, the, they told the story and I've uh, carried it as a, uh, an inspiration. Um, because um, really everything comes and goes and changes um, and uh, the Dharma is the Dharma, right? So, um, and I actually, you know, now that I'm a teacher, I try to remember that very clearly, uh, because as a, a teacher, as a practitioner, really, are, um, we're here to, to practice the Dharma. We're not here, you know, for people, for place. Of course, these are supports to, to know the Dharma and to meet the Dharma, and um, again, everything changes. And that's not a bad thing, necessarily. And for most of us humans, that can be a difficult thing, for sure. Um, here's some Suzuki Roshi. This is from a talk he gave at Tassahara in August 1971. It's called Freedom. I want to explain why we become Buddhists. Laughs. I will say I took out some you knows. This is verbatim, and I took a few you knows just to make it a little simpler. I want to explain why we become Buddhists, he laughs, or why I myself became a Buddhist. Perhaps here in America, we have some wish, hope in your future life, future life of the future person, personally, your own future life, and sociologically, you're concerned about your future society. But to tell the truth, we Buddhists do not have any hope, he laughs. We do not have any hope for our human life because we understand this life is originally full of suffering. That is, you know, how we understand our society. From the beginning, we understand that our world is the world of suffering. We understand why we suffer. 
is because we expect too much. We always expect something more than you will obtain or acquire. For instance, everyone knows that we cannot stay young, but we want to be always young. Laughs. Once in a while, when even though you are young, once in a while you feel, oh gee, I am 25 now. Laughs. Oh, I am not any more young. You know, now that I'm close to 55, that's young, you know, keeps moving, right? That's me. He laughs again. You may feel in that way. That is, you know, good evidence that you want to be always young. But that is not possible. We want to experience what, we want to experience what you have, but that is not also possible. Things are changing always, so nothing can be yours. So whatever you want, you want to be or you want to have, nothing can be possible for you to obtain it or to have it. That is actually how our human world is. Actually, it is so. But still we want to be fooled. He laughs. Fooled by something. That is maybe why we say human beings do not like something real. But human beings like something unreal. That is very true. You don't like anything real. So after you know, give up all the hopes you have in the mundane world. We become Buddhists. Then what will become of you if you become Buddhists? So you resign from this world. What will become of you is maybe next question. Why you become Buddhist is to resign from this, you know, the world of suffering. Uh, this is May, 20-something, and at the beginning of this month, um, on the 13th, is the three-year anniversary of Blanche's death, who's my teacher, or Dharma transmitted by. And when I asked Blanche to ordain, the way that I framed it for myself, was that I wanted to make the Dharma the rudder of my life. And I was already at Tassajara, and you know, most of us understand that um, going to Tassajara is our monastery, of uh, San Francisco Zen Center, and um, that we're renouncing something. We, we have this idea that when anybody goes to a monastery in whatever kind of faith, um, we're renouncing. Wouldn't you say that's true? And in fact, though, even though he's saying here Buddhists, and, and I'm talking about being monks, because I am a priest, um, of course, we also would say this about practice. Like today, you renounce what? Going to brunch to be here right now. What you say? This is a big thing in San Francisco to be brunching about now. Uh, maybe you renounce, I don't know, going to the gym. You renounce, you know, going to a movie. Right? Good thing the Avenger movie is not open this today. Um, so you renounce a lot of things to, to practice. So we all renounce in some way. So when he says, right, um, we renounce, right, we give up hope. We give up hope. Um, we also are really practicing. We give up the hope that um, we're going to escape suffering. Because what, what is the fundamental part about the practice of Buddhism? What is the first? The Four Noble Truths are true through, through all the sects of Buddhism. So what is the first noble truth? Come on. 
Life is suffering. Ah, uh, life is suffering. I, I prefer myself, excuse me, Dave. I prefer in life that is suffering. So, and I will say that I have been coming back to this over and over. Um, and so in life, there is suffering. And the word is dukkha. And dukkha, um, the implication of dukkha, the commentary, is very much about how when a uh, wheel and an ox cart, in the Buddha's time was an ox cart, now we could say a self-driving car, right? when the wheel doesn't roll smoothly, this is dukkha. So when it, there isn't a harmonious turning. Or another way they talk about it is if you were standing and you could only stand on one foot. So it's a little hard to find the balance. It's more difficult. So that's the first noble truth. And what is the instruction for the first noble truth? This part people don't know so much. There are instruction for each of the noble truths. What is the instruction for the first noble truth? to be investigated. So when we come to practice, we come not to escape suffering. We come to actually get closer and closer to suffering. We come to be curious about it. The quality of the investigation is also really key. Because you know, I'm the kind of uh, person who, you know, I would just dig and dig and dig. Um, and perhaps overdig. <laughs> right? um, and so the quality is also what you want to be learning. And what is the second noble truth? Come on, you guys suffering, know it. Suffering you know is the cause. There is a cause yeah. to suffering. And what is the cause? Attachment. 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 You know, the word is tanha. T-A-N-H-A. Tanha really means literally thirst. Right? So thirst. So Attachment is a good translation and, and a very popular one. I will say that um, from Gil Fransdahl, um, who's a scholar, um, what I appreciate about the way he frames it is that it's the obsessiveness. So it's not just attachment, or another great word is grasping. Right? It's not just grasping. Again, I, I like to use the example. So to hold something, you have to grasp it. When you say, right? I have to. I'm grasping this whatever this is, leather thing, right? But if Shuji, is that right? Yeah. If Shuji wants to take this from me and I'm hanging on tightly, then what might happen? Come on, pull. What might happen? What might happen? <laughs> right? We could get into a fight. Right? Thank you, let go. Mm -hmm. This is why we talk about letting go a lot. So it's the obsessiveness when you're not able to let go. That is the cause of suffering, wouldn't you say? Because we have to have some sense of attachment and desire, that's the other word that often people bring up, to do something. Like you have to desire to want to come here. Right? You have to want it to come here versus brunch. Right? You have to, and yet, if you make this, if you're obsessive about coming here, and then you judge other people for not coming here, right? I mean, I mean I, I, sometimes you know, you look around and you go, why isn't so-and-so here? I bet he or she or they are still in bed, you know, and I made it here. So that, that could be a kind of suffering that you could cause, right? So again, it's the quality of the attachment that's the key. The obsessive quality is why letting go is so big. 
So what is the practice instruction for the second noble truth about the cause? It, classically, it is to abandon. Right? I myself find abandoning really hard, so I prefer getting a lot closer and seeing what happens if I can let go. I don't know a shorter word for that. Right? So quality of being able to release is, the, is what we're, the practice instruction. Are you able to release? And then, and then the third noble truth is super important. There, there's a way out, one way, putting it. Come on, trust yourself. I heard you, I heard you say something, Cato. Say it. <laughs> there's a way out. Yeah, um, there's an end to suffering, is a classic wording. And Thich Nhat Hanh has a really, I appreciate the way he puts it, and he puts it as healing is possible. Right? Or to be even further, he says that seeing how you create suffering can end. Because there's a huge difference between the suffering of life and then the suffering we bring with it. Sometimes some people like Charlotte Jekyllback would put it as true suffering and false suffering. I myself like to think of it as pain versus suffering. So what is it that's part of just the human condition of life? For instance, let's take the example Suzuki Roshi used. Being, growing older Hmm? Growing older. Um, if um, it depends on how we, um, what is it that is the suffering of it or the pain of it and the suffering of it? For instance, growing older, um, my, you know, I have a harder time getting up from sitting. Right now, I have to like use two hands to get up. I remember when I first came, which was, you know, I don't know, almost 20 years ago, and Blanche, bless her, right, would get up and she would use two hands, especially to do the bow. In fact, today I will tell you, when I was coming up from my bow, I was like, oh yeah, I can still do it without using my hands. <laughs> but that's just today. Some days it's not possible, right? And so if we say, oh, I used to be able to do that and now I can't, something must be wrong, right? Then this is extra suffering or suffering versus the pain of just the knee needing support to get up. And then what is the practice instruction for the third number two? Did I already say? No, I haven't. What is the practice instruction? To be realized. Um, to, to, to know thoroughly. And then the fourth noble truth is the Eightfold Path, right? or there is a way to, to practice, and that's the Eightfold Path, and that's, that's to be developed. So, and the reason I bring that up is suffering is such a big part of our practice. Um, and um, as I've you know gotten closer and investigated suffering, uh, I keep coming to the other thing that's supposed to be attributed to the Buddha is that he said that I teach only one thing, suffering and the end of suffering. Have you heard that? Of course, I always like to say the first thing I always think of is, I hear that as two things. <laughs> what does he mean by one thing? What does that mean? So this is, 
this is an, an investigation. So one, one way that I've thought about it really recently is that um, because, right? now to have suffering, oh, and I'd like to also say that the other translation for dukkha is dis-ease, dissatisfaction, discontent. There are other like stress. I myself don't like stress very much because that's so conceptual. It's, we have a lot of ideas about what stress is. So what about dis-ease, dissatisfaction, and discontent? When we think that in life, there's dis-ease, dissatisfaction, and discontent. Doesn't that seem a little bit more approachable, for one thing? And then who here can say, even in the last 10 minutes, you haven't had some dis-ease, discontent, or dissatisfaction? Would that be true? So then we can say, oh, that, that's true, okay? Now, to know dis-ease, dissatisfaction, and discontent, what do you also have to know? Ease, satisfaction, and contentment. So, and yet, and yet, um, so this is what I think he means by there. It sounds like two, and yet they, we need both to know the truth. Depending where you are, you need to know the other one to get unstuck from the one. When you're suffering a lot, you have to, when you're, when you're in dis-ease, right? It's like a period of meditation. When you get to that point, you know, in the beginning, it might be five minutes, then it goes to 20 or okay, 10, 15, 20, whatever. At some point, some part of you will go dis-ease. And so what are you, what are you waiting for? It's a, the, the thought is, when is the dough I'm gonna hit the bell? But really, what are you looking for if you're having pain? or you're having dis-ease, your ankle hurts. You're looking for when it doesn't hurt, mm-hmm. right? And you remember that. You have to, in fact, part of our practice to try to sit still is to remember, oh yeah, oh yeah, this is gonna end. This is gonna end. Of course, again, the quality of what we're waiting, how we're waiting, excuse me, is really key. Because mostly we're, I myself, I know for many years, I waited in anger, right? Like, when is the goddamn, don't want to hit the bell. Why didn't I sit more so that it doesn't hurt so much? Maybe I should have, why didn't I think I shouldn't have tried full lotus? I should have done, you know, going on and on. And yet, it's this um, memory, it's this looking for disease that helps, even though in the midst of agitation, it's that, it's that sense of what else is here, right? The, 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 the release from the dis-ease, the discontent, the dissatisfaction. And yet, and yet, if we pay too much attention to that, this is where we can suffer more. And so practice is really this balance between holding suffering and holding how is it that that doesn't have to be suffering. I will say I, I asked a, one of my teachers, um, again, probably because because suffering seems such a big thing. And also, you know, the end of suffering sounds like, I don't know, I haven't, maybe a moment of the end of suffering, but mostly I feel like my life is all about how do I end the suffering, and yet it's a, it's a tight thing. And so I did say, well, could we say that perhaps the Buddha said, I teach suffering and um, non-suffering, non-suffering. And 
this teacher I trust a lot said, yeah, I think you, I think you could, you could say that. Not as a scholar, mind you, but really as a, something to hold, as, as a practice. And so um, this thing about hope, I think, you know, in essence, when we start, we are looking for, our hope is that suffering will end, that our suffering will end. Wouldn't you say? That's what I came for. Here's Charlotte Jokoback. This is from Everyday Zen and from a chapter called Practicing This Very Moment. She says, I once said that some, excuse me, I once said something in the Zendo that upset a lot of people. I said, to do this practice, we have to give up hope. Not many were happy about that, but what did I mean? I mean that we have to give up this idea in our heads that somehow, if we could only figure it out, there's some way to have this perfect life that is just right for us. Life is the way it is. And only when we begin to give up those maneuvers does life begin to be more satisfactory. When I say to give up hope, I don't mean to give up effort. As Zen students, we have to work unbelievably hard. But when I say hard, I don't mean straining and effort. It isn't that. What is hard is this choice that we repeatedly have to make. And if you practice hard, come to a lot of sashins, work hard with a teacher, if you're willing to make that choice consistently over a period of time, then one day you'll get your first little glimpse this first little glimpse of what this very moment is. And it might take one year, two years, or 10 years, or whatever, many years. So what is this choice? Here's one answer, again from her. So the crux of Zazen is this. All we must do is constantly to create a little shift from the spinning world. We've got in our heads, to right here now. That's our practice. The intensity and ability to be right here now is what we have to develop. We have to be able to develop the ability to say, no, I won't spin off up here. To make that choice, moment by moment, a practice is like a choice, a fork in the road. We can go this way, we can go that way. It's always a choice, moment by moment, between our nice world that we want to set up in our heads and what really is. And what really is at a Zen Sashin or any practice is often fatigue, boredom, and pain in our legs. What we learn from having to sit quietly with that discomfort is so valuable that it, if it didn't exist, it should. When you're in pain, you can't spin off. You have to stay with it. There's no place to go. So the pain is really valuable. So a practice, right? and this is why the Buddha said first, right? That I teach suffering because it's, that's the part that we're always trying to get away from. And I know that's what I'm always trying to get away from. Or I say, oh, well, you know, the pain of my foot, I've got under control after all these years. But then there's always another pain, right? Like getting up from here, like sitting here, I could sit here for hours. And then when, you know, it's time to get up, then, then I feel the pain in the knees and somewhere else. 
And if I then can meet that, it's just pain. Usually it's the like, oh, I wish I was younger. I wish I was, you know, my knees didn't hurt. Maybe I should take some pills. Maybe I should do more yoga, right? It's that. So we do focus on what, what happens right there at the moment of dis-ease, dissatisfaction, and discontent. This is where we, we have to start in our practice. And we spent years just staying right there to know, right, what is it that's the body sensation that's going on? What is it that's the emotion in that moment? What is it that's the thoughts in that moment? We have to differentiate. I know that with, in terms of my foot, in terms of sense, how many of you here know that that moment when you like, when you want the don't want to hit the bell, what is going on in your body? Just the body, just the sensation of the body. For me these days, my foot, right now, it's not very comfortable. But, and when I pay attention, I say I wanted to say but, but and when I pay attention, it's this warmth. Warmth, warmth, warmth. Now, the emotion, to be perfectly honest, is usually boredom. Oh, not warmth again, right? I wish I could drop away body and mind and the pain just escape. Or I wish I had some insight about this, right? You want, want some, and the emotion is just like, oh, not, not just warmth again. I, I've been with warmth for years now, right? And then the, the thought is, I already shared the thoughts, right? I wish it was something else. I wish I could have some insight. How many of you go to retreat and sashin to have insight? Come on. <laughs> right? This is what a good sashin is, right? Ooh, I had some insight about my life, about your life, about life in general. Huh? And of course, that's great, mind you. Sashin high. high, yes. Of course, we want that, and, and it's not the wanting, remember, that's the problem. It's not the wanting that's the problem. It's the obsessive wanting. Right? How many of you that, come on, in a session or retreat, the moment comes when you go, usually for many of us, many of us, it's when you have dokusan or practice discussion, where basically the teacher somehow shows you, maybe sometimes even tell you, or you or something, right? <laughs> that like you are holding tightly, right? To wanting something, wanting the pain to be different. How many of you come into PDs and stuff to say, I'm suffering in this way and please take it away? Of course, most of us are not that honest. You know, we get in and we go, that's why I used to have practice discussion for 30 minutes and then now I just do 20. Because, you know, people just take the 20 minutes and then the last 10 minutes, they tell you really why they come in, right? Really show the suffering. We talk about our suffering so much. The hard part is to show it because what happens when you show it? You reveal yourself. You reveal how you are with it, right? Mostly we just talk around it. Oh, as if it's like this. It's like this. I remember the past. I wish it was like this. Really? And then finally you're like, ah, this is what it is. And then the teacher goes, ah, now we're somewhere. Now we can really, when we can meet what is exactly right here, then 
we can figure out how to care for it, not how to fix it. How can we care for it? Maybe it is mostly, I will say, mostly how do we relax with it so that we can hold it? This is caring. This is why we practice sitting still and staying. It's, it's that holding, right? It's that holding posture. It's not the posture of, oh, I'm out of here, or I'm rejecting it, or I want it to be. That's what grasp, grasping is basically. I'm going to manipulate it to be some other shape than this one right here. This, you know. So we really have to let go of this sense of maneuvering or manipulating. And then, of course, this is where we start, and that's why um, this is where we generally run from. So that's why I think it goes first when the Buddha said, right? I teach suffering, right? And then I teach non-suffering. Because also, at some point with practice, and again, often it's in the sashin, some point in the sashin, um, you realize that, oh, what else is here? What else is here besides this thing that I'm anguishing over? We have to remember the other part, which is that in dis-ease, dissatisfaction and discontent, there is ease, there's contentment, and there's satisfaction. Right? A while back in a sashin, I realized that on the fourth day, of, on a seven-day session, on the fourth day, I was actually, you know, exiting the bathroom and bowing to the altar, and had a, I had an insight, folks, <laughs> and I thought, oh, my knees hurt less, but and then I thought, oh, do my knees really hurt less, or I'm just more relaxed than my legs hurt? Isn't that true? And to me, that's what it was. Mostly the first three days, you're like, my knees hurt, how can I make it not hurt? Orioki is, how can I not avoid orioki? Or, you know, or something, right? You're always trying to manipulate the schedule or what's going on. And then, the dif and of course, those are the difficult ones. The nice things you're not trying to manipulate to change, right? Cookies at tea time or whatever. You're not going, oh, I wish, well, maybe you go, I wish it was a different cookie, but mostly you're going, oh, nice tea, right? So it's that moment in which you relax with what's going on. This is, then this becomes, as uh, I heard one time, the fourth day of Sashin is the golden age of Zen. Right? It means it starts to just have that sense that like, oh, this is the shift. The shift is when we remember don't forget mindfulness means to remember right? remember what else is here we start to we start to because we've been so tight because we've been struggling to manipulate so much that we finally realize the manipulation is the suffering right? when can I just relax you know to take the analogy, these hands of trying to just massage and whatever words is working. Right? Basically, it's just right, to let go of this kind of maneuver or this kind of maneuver with your hand. 
you, you receive. You open up and you receive. So we have to, part of practice is to reframe our experience. These days I like to think, right? to me when I suffer, especially about life, right? a lot of time when there's big shifts in life, I think a lot about my poor life, poor me, my poor life, life is just hard, life is just hard, right? What is it about my life? Right? It's so hard. And it feels like life is a cage. Like you're in a cage and you're always just trying to get out. And so uh, lately I've been really, for a couple of years now, right? how do we experience, how, we do, how do we inhabit our life so that it doesn't feel like a cage? Which to me is this hand movement and it becomes this hand movement. When can life become a container? Not pressing down on me, but I'm held by life. How is it that life, I'm, I'm feeling the container of my life. I'm not pressing against the container or changing, trying to change the shape. How do I open up to fill the container? And in there, right, it takes wisdom, right? And a lot of practice is about, this is why to me it's this reframing. It does take, it takes body work, it takes interaction with others, sangha and teacher and the dharma, and it takes, the wisdom part is the reframing. Of course, the, the teaching supports that. We have to wisely investigate, not just investigate the suffering or the disease, the discontent and the dissatisfaction. It's useful in the beginning in the sense of because that's what we've been running away from. We just feel it, but we, we don't have the wisdom to describe it yet. Until we can describe it, then we can also see, quote unquote, its opposite, right? Or what else is there? To wisely look and investigate how we suffer, right? And also what else is here? This is from the Dalai Lama in The Art of Happiness. I believe that the very purpose of our life is to seek happiness. That is clear. Whether one believes in religion or not, whether one believes in this religion or that religion, we are seeking something better in life. So I think the very motion of a life is towards happiness. And here's uh, Charlotte Joko Beck. Same chapter. Let's look at the sitting process itself, just to sum this up. What we need to do is to be with what's happening right now. You don't have to believe me. You can experiment for yourself. When I am drifting away from the present, what I do is listen to the traffic. I make sure there's nothing I miss, nothing. I just really listen. 
And that's just as good as a koan because it's what's happening this very moment. So as Zen students, you have a job to do, a very important job, to bring your life out of the dreamland and into the real and immense reality that it is. The job is not easy. It takes courage. Only people who have tremendous guts can do this practice for more than a short time. But we don't do it just for ourselves. Perhaps we do at first, that's fine. But as our life gets grounded, gets real, gets basic, other people immediately sense it. And what we are, and what we are begin, uh, and what we are begins to influence everything around us. We are actually the whole universe. But until you see that clearly, you have to work with what your teacher tells you to work with, having some faith in the total process. It's not only faith, it's also something like science. Others before you have done the experiment and they have some result from that. About all you can do is say, well, at least I can try the experiment. I can do it. I can work hard. That's as much as any of us can do. And one last. Already we are the Buddha. By that, the capacity of awakening is inherent. Right? So already we are Buddha. There's just no doubt about that. How could we be anything else? We're all right here now. Where else could we be? But the point is to realize clearly what that means. This total oneness, this harmony, and to be able to express that in our lives. That's what takes endless work and training. It takes guts. It's not easy. It takes a real devotion to ourselves and to other people. So, The Buddha said, I teach suffering and non-suffering. And to me, it isn't one thing or two things. When we're paying attention to what is the harmony, where do we find the harmony in being able to hold them both? Sometimes one weighs on us more and we have to remember like a, like a balance, right? And yet, on a certain level, it is a balance. And then also, lately, I also think, is it really just about a little bit? Harmony to me is just a little bit more than just up and down, right? just weighing things out. It seems too, too, too little, too linear, and because our life is vast. Right? So perhaps it's much more harmony. It's much more of a moving things around right? so that there's a, not only a sense of balance, but a sense of things relating to each other in a way that makes sense in the moment. So how do we frame our experience that it makes sense not only for ourselves, but for others in our world? Thank you very much. Eleven, I didn't leave much time for <coughs> Q&A. So shall we do it upstairs after all? Yeah, yeah let's.
tea and cookies and the um, Q&A upstairs. I apologize for not providing enough time down here. Thank you very much.